Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Zena Hashem Beck is a Lebanese poet. Her third full-length poetry collection, O, came out from Penguin Books in July 2022. Her collection, Louder Than Hearts, won the 2016 May Sarta New Hampshire Poetry Prize. She is also the author of Arabia Song, winner of the 2016 Rattle Chapbook Prize. There was, and how much there was, a 2016 Laureate's Choice selected by Carol Ann Duffy, and To Live in Autumn, winner of the 2013 Backwaters Prize. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Nation, Poetry, Academy of American Poets, and in so many other places. Zena invented the duet, which is a bilingual poetic form where English and Arabic exist separately and in relationship to each other. With poet Farah Shama, she is the co-creator and co-host of Maksuda, a podcast about Arabic poetry produced by Saut. After a lifetime in Lebanon and a decade in Dubai, Zena recently moved to California. And I'm so honored to have her on the show. Um, I've been following her for some time and got to know her when her daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in Dubai. I never met her face to face, but she became part of the group of moms here um, that are based in Dubai that support each other through this challenging diagnosis. And a while ago, she she wrote a poem and shared it. Um, about her daughter's diagnosis. And it really went viral within the diabetes community. But it was so poignant and so good that I knew I really wanted to learn more about that poem and how it came about, how it came out of her, her already being a very established poet and her process for writing this. I was really intrigued by that. But I also thought it would just be wonderful to speak with her and learn more about how she experienced diabetes in Dubai and then how she's experiencing it now in the U.S. or how her daughter's experiencing it and some of the similarities and differences. So I'm super happy that she's on the show and I hope you enjoy today's discussion. So Zaino, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And all the, it's nighttime, your time, morning time here. And so just the added time zones between us has made it, it's, I don't want to say challenging, but I just really appreciate because it takes a lot of extra effort to do this. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast and of you. I think you, uh, without knowing you, you have been a great help for me ever since my daughter was diagnosed. Like I, you, you were one of the references in, in Dubai. You were mentioned by many friends. So thank you for everything. Oh, thank you for that. That's really touching. And that brings me a lot of, that makes me really happy to know that whatever it is that we're doing, that it's, it's helpful because that was the whole reason why I started Diapoint and to do what I was doing. And even before Diapoint was a thing, I just thought, you know, a type one diabetes diagnosis and even a type two diagnosis, if you're an adult is so challenging and you don't know where to go, what to do. And my husband and I both worked in healthcare. And I thought if we work in healthcare and we're really challenged by this, I can't imagine if you don't work in healthcare, it wasn't necessarily easy, but at least I knew who to ask and where to go. And so I'm just, I'm really happy to to hear that. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. So starting from the beginning, there's a lot of beginnings <laughs> when, so now you live, you live in the U S before that, how long were you in Dubai? And if you were before Dubai, can even go back to that beginning. And I was born in 1981. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm I'm Lebanese. I actually was born in in Lebanon in Tripoli. I uh, studied there. I got my BA and MA in English literature from AUB in Beirut. So basically, born and raised in Lebanon. Um, and I had been in Dubai for a decade, exactly a decade, for mm-hmm. ten years. 
before moving to the Bay Area a year ago. Yeah. And how long ago was your daughter diagnosed with type 1? So my daughter was diagnosed in Dubai on August 24, 2021. And we moved to the U.S. on December 11, 2021. So only a few months before Mm. our big move. So it was a lot to adjust to in very few months. Yeah. Wow. My son was diagnosed in August as well. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I've been working on an essay called August. Oh. It's about my relationship to the month. And and how I always well, it's associated with beauty and with the beach and 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 but also in my head is associated with trauma. Uh, one of the traumas uh is Aya being diagnosed, another is the Beirut explosion, of course. Mm. Uh, it's just that over the years, August ha- has been a little bit ominous, but also beautiful in its in its own way. So mm. it's funny to say that, yeah. I can't wait to read it. Because yeah, August, usually I'm on a beach in Turkey somewhere, swimming, enjoying the sea, but it's bittersweet at the same time. And and having, I can't imagine also because the, the Beirut blast was super traumatic and still is for so many people and having that and type one and a few of other things that have happened in a month, it, it can be quite heavy. Yeah, and I think the body remembers. I don't know if you as a mom, like you remember it as well, but I kind of feel that it's the body goes like it's cyclical. And so I find my I found myself this August without realizing it, you know, being anxious around the date when Mm. she was, you know, and I think even when our mind doesn't necessarily remember right away, Mm -hmm. our body holds that trauma and kind of cyclically remembers it, you know, goes through the seasons. I think I would agree with that because I start, I remember the date about a week or two, 10 days before. And then that day might come and go and I might forget on that day. And maybe that's like a defense mechanism to forget it, but always it'll pop up and it's like, Ooh, and I still have Anytime I hear someone talk about a new diagnosis or there's a new parent added to the group or something, I feel it. I think we all all do. Or the other one that gets me, it does. You just relive the whole experience again. You know exactly how that mom's feeling, what she's going through, what she's observing in her child, like that one. And then also when kids are left out of school, that's another one that just brings me a lot of... I, I didn't have such a deep experience like that, but that's another one that I think gives me a lot of trauma. And maybe it's that fear of like your child not being able to be quote unquote, I hate to use the word normal because all of our children are normal, but that whole, like that they're going to be okay and be able to do everything that their peers do. And every time I hear a mom share a story of that, that just makes my blood boil like in a, in a very crazy, crazy way. But that's very interesting that you would, you observe that. Yeah. I think they're probably, I mean, I can't, you know, I, I think definitely um, like I guess uh, the schools here, I think maybe in the U S are more aware. I feel. So I, as school that she goes to now, the nurse isn't always there because the nurse works for actually many public schools, but there are quite a few diabetes cases and all the teachers are trained. Oh, amazing. To, de- to deal with that. At least that's, that's what I was told. So I feel there's just like maybe more awareness in my experience, the school uh, in Dubai versus the school here, a little bit more awareness, not that the school in Dubai wasn't helpful, but I feel I had to advocate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to advocate. Like I, I am the sort, <laughs> I'm also a little bit annoying <laughs> because I'm, uh, you know, I think it was my coping mechanism that I just kind of, after I uh, was out of the hospital, my coping mechanism was to like spend hours and hours and hours building a PDF uh, presentation for all her teachers, <laughs> 
you know, like I wanted to like, what is diabetes and what are the symptoms and what does a hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia? Mm -hmm. So I think that was how I channeled my anxiety because probably if you know about something, then it's less scary. Right. So um, a therapist actually that I know, well, she's a very well-known therapist in Dubai. My son used to be in Cub Scouts. And she had once said something to me when we were talking about, you know, one, if as a child or a person with diabetes, she's like, you should let them talk about it because advocating and doing those kind of things is therapeutic. And it is a way that you feel you can control the situation that you can't control. So it gives us like that kind of peace of mind. So I think you're probably spot on. And that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you the differences between what you found managing diabetes in Dubai versus in the US. Is it very different? Is it, I'm kind of like jumping ahead of a lot of my questions, but, but that's a, that's a big one because we often, I know in so, in so many countries, it's so different. There's so many, you know, disparities, information. We're very lucky in the UAE and Dubai that we have access to things, but do you experience outside of the the school, it would make sense because also there's so many more laws and and liability, I don't want to say issues, but they do make schools liable. Whereas here, it's not quite that developed. It hasn't had to be. And most schools are super supportive and there's no uphill battle and things like this so as much. Um, but when we read about like people not being able to afford insulin in the U S because of the crazy prices, because of insurance and stuff like that, are you experiencing any challenges around that? Well, we are, we are lucky that we have a good insurance. So we have access to, uh, you know, the glucose monitors and to the insulin pumps and to, but the prices, I mean, for, for those who can't afford them are just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's criminal. It actually is criminal when you have, when insulin is, when the insulin prices are that high and insulin is not like, you know, it's not Tylenol, you know, it's, it's, it's like, if you don't get insulin, you die. Like, how is this not free? How is this not accessible? I heard, I'm not sure, but my husband was telling me yesterday that Biden just passed a law for for like uh, people on uh, is it on Medicare that I, the, the the insulin price I think isn't allowed to be more than thirty five dollars or something like that I'm not sure what the law is exactly I still have to look into it but like hopefully it's it's a step in the right direction yeah there have been some laws and discussions around it and I do believe it was Medicare and I said the same thing I said well hopefully this is a step in the right direction because for Medicare it's over 65 there's still a lot of people under the age 65 that need insulin and there's going to be more and then there's a few states that they are very progressive in how they're allowing, you know, the companies to price insulin. So I'm hoping that that's paving the way for, for the future. Um, and while I don't live in the U S I do worry about it because I'm like, what if my son decides to go to live in the U S or go to university in the U S and how is that going to work? And, you know, thinking ahead, it's so crazy. Yeah, some things were easier in Dubai and some things, I guess, uh, were easier here. So what was definitely easier in Dubai is because in Dubai we had insurance and here we have insurance, thankfully. Uh, But here, even with the insurance, for me as an outsider to the system, to understand the system, it took me a few months and so many calls. Like, I I think at some stage I had memorized the like automated voice, you know, that says, if this is an emergency, please dial Mm -hmm. 911. Uh, you know, press one, press two. But I, I just like I fought with with this voice so much. It stressed me out. So the first month, I think I spent most of my mornings trying to figure out, OK, how do I get her her glucose monitor? How do I get her her insulin pens? And then how do I switch her to a pump where and it just it was just a little a lot to navigate for for someone 
who had just uh, come to the U.S., whereas in Dubai, it was pretty straightforward in the sense that her doctor in the hospital prescribed everything. You went down, you got everything from the pharmacy, didn't pay it a, a thing or paid whatever, you know, your insurance, uh, the percentage and walked home with everything. And if they didn't have it, they would say, OK, we're, we, you know, we will deliver it tomorrow. Of course, the ultimate Dubai experience, we will deliver. It. Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> they, and it's only gotten better since you left. I'm sorry to say, I the, for the most part, most of the things like you need some Tylenol, you got a headache or Panadol here, you know, so it'll be so definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That was so much easier. I just couldn't understand why do I have to get the glucose monitor from this company and the, mm. uh, the you know, the insulin pens from that company and then from the other company, the pumps. And, and I still, now I have like a, uh, I have a system, I have a, like a username and, and I have a sign in for each of these uh, pharmacies. The, you know, I get each product from a different pharmacy because I've learned that this pharmacy would usually have the pump, whereas that mm. pharmacy, would you know, I've learned it. So mm. I have I, now it's easier because I just, you know, I message the diabetes educator. Oh, we need a new prescription. She sends it in. I sign in. And with a click of a button, it also gets delivered. So it's fine. Amazing. It took me a lot of time to understand why is this system so complicated? Um, and what I, what I do also, what I do actually appreciate in the U S is that you always have access to the diabetes educator free of charge. Oh, wow. That's so good. So you can call, not that you can visit them in the office, but you can call them. Uh, of course they are very overwhelmed. Yes. So it's you you will necessarily i think 90% of the time you won't get a an answer but i found that when i leave a message if it's urgent they'll call me right back mm. if it's kind of not that urgent they will call me in an hour or two right, like right, it, right. it's been good like that so i appreciate the fact that i could actually pick up the phone and speak for like 40 minutes to this educator saying mm. well I'm that she's been having highs at night what do you think and she'd be like okay let's try this that's so so it's more this open connection co communication i think is is very i i love that that is valuable yeah there are a few like doctors that do it here and a few educators i know that have done it and it's just it's not a systematic thing that the clinic or hospital decided they do it because they know people need it they have nowhere to go I'm glad they do it because I get really nervous when even experience, you know, for moms that are experienced, if people start asking medical questions, I'm like, please ask your doctor. We're not, you know, here to tell you how to change your doses and things like that. So that's another good reason they do it here. But it's just like it's from their heart when they do it. And they're already so overwhelmed. And mm -hmm. here, sadly, insurance does not cover yes. meeting with the diabetes educator. Okay. So I would love anyone out there, clinics, hello, if you're listening, please make this uh, accessible or free service because especially in the beginning, because people really, need really need it. You absolutely need that support. You're on a very steep learning curve. You don't know. I mean, I didn't know anything about type one before, before my daughter was diagnosed. I barely knew a thing. And you have to learn so fast and you freak out at the beginning. You're freaking out yeah. every time the blood sugar dips, you're freaking out. Now it's like, okay, it's, I know it's what like, goes up will come down and we know now where I know I always say it's not even a learning curve. It's a learning vertical line. And I always show this to doctors and I'm like, you think this is the learning curve, but no, it's just a straight line. And you send us home and we don't know anything it's so hard. And then, yeah, over time, we do get a little more comfortable with numbers that fluctuates because that is the nature of what it is. And even, you know, now we know better that even people without diabetes do have fluctuating curves and things like this, but it is so, so stressful. And so when did you start to feel, I'm going to use the word comfortable, with managing diabetes? How long did it take you to kind of feel like you were more settled into this condition? I also want to circle back to like one more thing I wanted to say about like the US versus Dubai is that what I appreciated a lot in Dubai was the WhatsApp group. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have it here. Maybe I just haven't found, maybe there are some groups, but not that I know of. Right maybe now. you should start one. Maybe I should start one. Uh, do I want to do that? Maybe. Yeah. That's because good. everyone, and it's just a matter of like adding the people, you don't necessarily have to facilitate but when someone has a question or if, you know, people are meeting very, up in the area, you always could. At the beginning, I remember waking up at 3 a.m. and asking a question at that in that group and people would be up the up. People, yeah. would, of course, you know, and they would be like, OK, no, do this. Don't do that. So it was super helpful, super helpful to have. And I also remember, like, I still have a very special place in my heart for that mom when I remember I ran out. I ran out of Dexcoms and I was going to get the delivery like the next day, but somehow I ran out and, you know, I put it on the group and she was like, Hey, I live near you. Just mm. come by. This is my address. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Dexcom. She gave me the Dexcom. Of course yeah. I gave her, but that was so sweet, you know, and yep. it was such a, a beautiful gesture, mother to mother, you know, um, so yeah, that kind of I feel um, support. I, I, there's also like a I don't know. There's I don't know if I'm biased. Probably I am, but there's like an inherent Arabness in it as well. That that like that communal like no, we'll we matriarchs will take care of you. Yes. <laughs> you know? That's um, so. That's so true. So, so I miss that. I do miss that here. One more thing. Uh, it's you, you got me on a comparison of pros and cons. You, I told you I'm an art. So that's okay. Uh, one more thing I appreciate about the U S is that the replacement of everything is, is easier. So you mm. all you have to do is call and say, Oh, her Dexcom fell off. You don't have to like in the UAE. I remember having to like send a picture and mm-hmm. proof and so they could like hear, they just say, okay, it fell off. What's the number? Uh, and if you don't have the number or the serial number or whatever, you say, I don't have it. I threw it. Okay, fine. All right. And they send it to you. So, yeah. and I remember being shocked and uh, the person on the line said to me, really, I mean, it's, it's someone has to be very, very cruel to take advantage of such situations. We just believe people when they yeah, say. Yeah, that's especially... I mean, now, yeah, there are people using certain CGMs just for health benefits or experiment or whatever, but, but yeah, the Dexcoms and the system that we use, I've never saved it. They've always asked if you have it. And I'm like, no, it was like dirty. It was used. It was medical waste. Why would I keep that line around? Like you just take it off, you throw it away, you put another one on and Yeah. It's it's probably not worth their time. Also, that's a lot of effort. People don't realize the what what I guess maybe companies here don't realize is the effort lost, which could result in the sale of something else or whatever while you're chasing a device that fell off or wasn't working. Like that's a big opportunity cost that they're they're missing. What do you think about the people who like put CGMs and they're not diabetics? I have like, I, I, I kind of hold a grudge against them. I don't know. This is a question that I, I ask everyone now, um, kind of on the show, because last season I did a feature three episodes about this very topic. And I think the consensus is people I, I know either that I've interviewed or talked to or read their posts and columns about it. If they have type one, they are outraged by it. Yeah. And because of lack of I, yes, like lack of, yeah, because there's people that don't even have insulin in the world. And here we are out here flaunting our next thing. And the reason I got more curious about it, and I was really annoyed, and someone shared so popular radio DJ here in Dubai. And one morning, someone that follows him or they, somebody was sent a video of him on TikTok or whatever. He's like, oh, let me check my blood sugar. And I was like, are you kidding These me? These things cost a fortune. They cost for, yeah. you know, for listeners who don't know, they cost a fortune. And there are people who need these things, you know, to survive. So yep. yeah. Yeah. And I, what I would love to see happen is 
you know, the Todd's shoe model, like buy one and then they donate one. So if you don't have diabetes and you buy one, I would love for those companies to donate to someone that can't afford it. So that's one thing that I think would be great. I interviewed someone from one of these companies that is promoting it with a sport app and and other things. And I asked him about this. I said, what do you, what do you say to that? What is your answer to that? And he feels that potentially this use, maybe it will drive the prices down. Maybe I'm not holding my breath, but maybe it will. And he also said, then he put the responsibility back on the companies and the manufacturers that they should make it more affordable. So it's accessible to people. And while that's true, it still is controversial that people wear it. And I'm actually, I'm, I think this season, I've asked her if I can interview her. I have a friend who's also a nurse, but she was very curious. So she wore one and she'd send me her graphs and stuff sometimes. And there was a lot of lessons learned about it. And I think kind of the biggest challenge outside of people not accessing and, and it still does like make me uncomfortable when I see if someone has one and they, they don't have diabetes. I kind of have that jolt in my heart a bit when I see it. Um, but I know also people that are wearing them, no matter how good intention the companies are that are promoting it for sport, most of them don't even have probably the staff with a deep enough level that can explain it to them. And even I give the example of my my husband who was trained as a medical doctor. He's a healthcare manager. And he came home from a checkup last year once. And he said, my doctor said I'm pre-diabetic. And I said, and he exercises, he eats well, he's not overweight or whatever. I said, but of course you are because you don't sleep. So then I said, if you really want to test it, I said, let's put, you know, a Libre on you. That's the most cost-effective one. And let's see what happens. And so he did. And then he one morning went to work out and did like a vigorous weight workout. And of course his blood sugar went up and he was shocked. And I'm like, yeah, but that's normal. That happens to everybody. And th- so the this is the information that people don't know. It's just like another, it's a fancy device. It's yeah. like with a, my, I have my uncharged like Apple watch here on my tape, my table, which I don't <laughs> use that often, but you know, if it's saying my heart rate's doing something and I have seen it's helped some people, you know, go get checkups and stuff. But if it says it's doing something for my heart, I'm not a cardiologist. What do I know? Nothing. So yeah, it's, um, I don't think this trend is going away because people are very curious about the data and what they do with it, but they don't know enough and it takes so much education. You need to be a diabetes educator really, or a caretaker of a child with diabetes for a long time to really understand how to use that data or like a professional athlete. I understand why they use it. And I didn't know this, but CGMs are not allowed in professional cycling because they can use those numbers to their advantage. Um, Yeah. I always wondered why when like Team Novo was racing and they'd have to like prick their their finger. I'm not sure if they're wearing CGMs or not, but in the Olympics, apparently they use them for training. But um, so you can get information from it, but unless you're like a pro athlete, or a person with diabetes, I don't think it's really necessary. If you're doing all the lifestyle things right, then spend your money on something else is kind of my, uh, my donate Donate it to other people who need it. Yeah. Yeah. I would really, I would really love that. Do you see a lot of them in the, in the U S do you, cause I I find and you're in California, like, you know, people are healthy and into very trendy things. Do you notice people wearing? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think once or twice I've noticed people wearing them and just assumed they're diabetic. Uh, mm. People I don't know, so you know, they they just as well might be diabetic. You know. Yeah, I do see more people wearing them here, but it doesn't look like it's for health things. Like I notice it more. Like you know, when you see a child with a CGM and it's like, oh, you know, type one for sure. And then I'll go over and talk to the parents, and sometimes, most of the time, they're like. What what does she want? I'm like, my 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 child's type one too. Like, you know, I'm with you in solidarity kind of thing. But sometimes it's well received, or sometimes they're just like, she she's a nut. 
which <laughs> is true on both occasions. <laughs> I mean, you have, you, you know, this, 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 this drives you crazy. I mean, on a certain level, you have to look to lose your mind as well, you know? So yeah, it does. It does. And now a word from our sponsor. Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast is brought to you by the Diapoint shop. Diapoint is a place for people touched by diabetes. We support people through education, events, services, and advocacy, as well as with beautiful diabetes accessories sold in the D shop. Visit diapointshop.com to see all of the wonderful, useful things that we have to support you in your health, wellness, and diabetes. We offer the highest quality possible and have tried or regularly use most of the items in the shop ourselves. Check out www.diapointshop.com now to get the latest in health, wellness, and accessories. Now back to the show. So I want to ask you about, um, so when did you, so I, I have your book and it's not also, not just the, the poem that you wrote about type one, but all of it, it's amazing. And I have my virtual background on, but I have post-its like throughout the book for things that I love. It's, it's amazing. Like really so, so good. And then it's got me like, why don't I read poetry more often? Because (laughs) in general reading, I think a lot of people now I end up just reading things about health and wellness or diabetes and all of these things. And then we're not reading things so much for pleasure anymore, which is a shame. And then yeah. really, though, it has a bad rap as well. You know, po- poetry usually has a bad rap that, oh, it's inaccessible. What are these people talking about? You know, uh, so it doesn't have as much readership as, say, fiction or nonfiction. Or, but I think that is kind of changing with. With with uh, partly with social media, partly with like the whole like like uh, like I think years and I think in in Dubai it was kind of recent the whole like open mic scene and spoken word scene. So it's pretty recent in Dubai. Probably in the US it's not that recent, mm. but I think that scene kind of people are maybe reconnecting. It could at least be their gateway into more poetry. Nice. You know? I never so. thought of that. And now I want to like go seek those out because here I'm not doing it. I imagine where you are in the Bay Area, that's probably been going on for years. But for a lot, I mean, in Dubai, I used to run one. Uh, you you probably you know uh, know that I used to run one called Punch because yeah, when I arrived here, I was like, we got to do something about poetry. You know, we got I got to connect with people who love poetry. So I I just started you know, an open mic night and it ran for 10 years when the pandemic hit, we stopped and then I moved. So mm. that, that was Aww. the end of it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like the one called blue. I really love it. Oh yeah. That's a I love, I love it. And I don't read Arabic. I don't speak Arabic. I wish I did because I'd probably get more out of the book, but I love it. Thank you. Like, That's one of my favorite duets, actually. It has really? Special... Yeah, because it's an ode to the Mediterranean. And I miss it so much. I miss, I mean, the ocean here is beautiful, but the Mediterranean. There's nothing like it. I always say that. And I'm like, I'm okay, maybe biased. But w- when I am gone from this earth, my ashes will go there. There's something magical about it. And maybe that's why it resonated with me, because I do love it. It's my favorite color because of that reason. I loved, I just love it. Like it's, it, it, it's just so, I guess, poignant. When, okay. so when did you say, I know kind of the writing process is different for everyone. And because you're already a writer, do you just sit down and then things sometimes come out? Like the, the poem about, I mean, one of the reason initial reasons why, I thought it would be good to have you on the show was because when you wrote the poem about your daughter and about type one, that just went kind of in a really viral kind of way. And it touched so many people. When you sat down, did you know that you were going to that day? Did you know that that was going to come out or you were going to write that? No, that that particular poem, no, because I was... So she was diagnosed end of um, 
August, like I said in that poem I wrote sometime in September. So the the news was very fresh. And actually, O was kind of, I was kind of done with O, like the book, you know, the, all the mm. poems in the book were finalized. Uh, but of course, the body and the deteriorating body and our relationship with aging and disease is present in the book, even before my daughter was diagnosed, right? Uh, but I think that just kind of came organically from, strictly from the experience. And I remember it was around, I think, 5 a.m. in the morning. And I don't usually wake up early, okay? I'm like, I sleep late. I wake up late. Of course, with diabetes, all of that goes out the window. <laughs> but uh, but usually, if you let me be, I sleep in. I, I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that morning I was up at 5 a.m., probably, you know, dying with worry because it was so fresh and I just kind of opened my laptop and looked outside and I was in what I call the temporary house because now I'm gonna I'm gonna digress but that's fine that's okay so we were we were in Dubai for like years and years and our initial plan was to actually go to Paris Mm -hmm. not the U.S. Uh, and we were gonna go to Paris in July of that year um and what happened is that somehow, you know, the, the plan changed and we, you know, I was now immigrating to the U.S., to California. And we had at that time told our landlord that we were leaving our house in Dubai. And so he had brought in new tenants. And so within a month, we had to like find, run around and find a new, you know, the new house. And so I was sitting, the, the house was pretty new and I was looking outside and everything was kind of familiar. So the furniture was familiar, but the, the space was unfamiliar. And something about the 5 a.m., the worry, that just kind of, it just came out, you know, like in one go, you mm. know, like time, be kind to her. It just kind of, and I always say poem, when poems come out like this, A, it's because they're coming from like a, really true authentic place uh and b it's because you have been thinking about this deeply even if subconsciously you have been writing that in your head but now is the time for you to put words down so that one came in one go i i i think i made a few revisions to the end of it but that was that was it mm-hmm. i imagine you felt lighter after that came out then I think so. I don't remember if I cried. I might have uh, cried. I don't remember. But yeah. I mean, you all, no matter what, after I've written a poem, good or bad, I feel good. <laughs> That's like That's one good. of my favorite things. So, so, so yeah, it just kind of came from, from the experience, straight from the experience. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, because you're always expressing yourself through writing. So I imagine you do always feel good and lighter after all of it. So, you know, perhaps maybe you didn't need to have a good cry. I found that when in the beginning, I actually just, I sat down to create a photography blog and then I found myself writing about diabetes and Aaron's diagnosis. And that was the biggest therapeutic thing I could have done. I guess that's what I needed. And that's kind of when I started writing nothing poetic and nothing, nothing nowhere near like what you're writing, but that process, like you said, I think we just carry it and you have to leave it somewhere. I can't, there's not enough miles in the world to run. I think to leave some of it, sometimes I can't go out and like shout at anyone or blame anyone or whatever. And that's kind of a nice, a nice way to, to do it, I guess. But you're this, this poem is really, and, and as I was reading it, of course it was very relatable, but at the same time, I was like, maybe not because it's one thing to read something, but then when it's, it's a poem about something that you can relate to or a topic you can relate to, then maybe it's me projecting my experience into it. And so that's that's totally like, that's totally fine. Like that's what poems do. The the minute poems go out into the world that you no longer own them, they they Mm. no longer belong to you. They belong to the reader and each reader could do with them as they please. Like you have to kind of let go. Mm. I like that. So how is your, uh, we're kind of like moving around a bit, but how, 
how do you see is how is your daughter managing like since her her diagnosis and everything and then having it here you know managing here versus in the US and and how do you you find all of that like the the day to day and is it a thing or you know for some for some kids it's depending on the age and the time that they were diagnosed it's more challenging you know at this time than others it just really it changes i think she's just like she's amazing she really is how you know how she's adapted to like the capacity uh, her capacity to adapt really baffles me um i really admire her i really really do i think at the beginning yes she was scared at the beginning i remember she was asking about everything she's eating can i eat this can mm. i you know and i remember the first hypo she had she was crying and what i did what i wrote in the poem is when i told her i'm here she told me you can't do anything that had actually happened she said but you can't do anything you know and wow. literally i think if what she meant if i die you can't do anything if i faint mm-hmm. you can't do it so she was i think uh i feel bad because for a child to be faced with their own fragility and mortality at such a young age is is not easy and i remember her very smartly saying once in the car uh, well two things i remember very well one one of them was i wish i was diagnosed when i was like one year old because then i wouldn't know what life without diabetes was and i wouldn't have i won't have anything mm-hmm. to compare with right yeah. and it would be just my life yeah how old was she when she said that um uh 12 12 okay uh, no actually no 2021 she she turned 12 in april 2021 so she mm. wasn't 12 yet. she was okay. 12 she was 11 so wow. so yeah and another thing she said is also like i wish i I, what did she something like I'm paraphrasing something along the lines of I wish I knew how easy life without diabetes was before and how lucky I was mm, oh my so, goodness so she's very wow. like she's very, she's very philosophical as a child even before diabetes she's like a very philosophical you know some children she just is well I mean but look at her mom too you're uh, I mean obviously <laughs> she's yeah you know, she was always influence, but that's amazing. Yeah. She was always preoccupied with questions about, you know, death and God and, and this earth and always, always, always from a very young age. And I think the diagnosis kind of really, so I think it was very difficult for her at the beginning to process. And I think she still carries some of that anxiety mm. uh, with her uh, because I feel it's 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 just little things that make me feel that how she feels is that she can't trust. There's something she can't trust anymore. This is this is my how my mm-hmm. feeling. You know, something bad might happen, mm-hmm. and you know you can't stop it. Yeah, yeah. She has that lived experience that nothing lasts forever, health or whatever that is, and things are fleeting and temporary. So. She's so very she wise. Has, yeah, she's lost a little bit of trust. She's lost a little bit of, um, uh, you know, she's she's more anxious. But at the same time, uh, in record time, and I feel a lot of, I, I pro- probably most diabetic kids are like that because they just have to deal with it, right? And she was very independent. Like I remember the first, like she was diagnosed in August. By the beginning of September, she was insisting, I want to go back to school. I want to go back to school. She went on the school bus and this was all new to me. And she had a high on that. She was, you know, her blood sugar was high on the school bus. And I had told her older sister, okay, you need to take care of your sister. If, And she just kind of took out the insulin pen, you know, stabbed herself with it, corrected herself, called me. She's like, I did it. It's fine, mom. And the first two weeks, I was insisting that she goes to the nurse to take, you know, the Mm -hmm. insulin shots. And then she was like, I've had enough of this. The nurse doesn't know how to do it. I know my own body. I know how to do it. I do it without hurting myself. Let me do it. 
you know, and also like she has no shame around it, which is great. It's so good that she doesn't feel like she has to hide it. Or so even in class, she'd be like, yeah, I just took the, I took the shot in class, mom, before this is before she had the pump. Right. So she got independent very, very quickly. And I, I really admire that, uh, in her, um, the only thing that we we're still working on, I guess, is just like, I don't know how it was to you, uh, because kids sleep very deeply. And so if there are sleepovers, I worry mm-hmm. because, you know, during the day, it's fine. She yeah. has control. She feels her lows. She feels her, you know, there is the Dexcom. But at night, sometimes the, the alarm, you know, the, the CGM alarm would go off and she doesn't hear it because, you know, kids sleep very deeply. Yeah. Yeah. My and son, so same. Is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still. Okay. Yeah. 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 Still the sleep. He, he worries about it. And then he went to the camping trip. And there wasn't going to be a nurse or anybody. And he's like, but who's going to take care of me at night? And even though he's been, you know, he went to space camp this last summer and, you know, there were nurses there and stuff and he managed it. And we're lucky that the pump he uses suspends before low. So that gives me a little more comfort, but that can, you know, things can still happen. Um, So that helps a bit, but he does worry about that. And, but in the end, one of the teachers got sick and then, the school nurse ended up going and, you know, <laughs> there were, they would send me a message at, at midnight kind of thing just to check in, but he can do it. But like you said, he sleeps deep at night and it's, it's something he worries about during the day for the most part. I mean, he's kind of in that teenage boy mind phase where he might forget, but in general, he does, he does a pretty good job. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah we so have I the same. Think- yeah. And also like I was when I, I, I went a little bit to a few places uh, on tour for O, so I left them with their dad and I could feel her worried kind of like, but dad sleeps deeply. What if he doesn't hear me? And I'm like, but I'm in the same country. I can call your dad. I can call. Don't worry. And, and you know, p- poor dad. I mean, I think once he does sleep deeply, but I think once you know that you're the only adult responsible yeah. for the shot, you stop. You, you, you step know, up. And you step up. So yep. he was, he, he, he woke up for her. And, and yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. We have the same thing. I had to go to Abu Dhabi for a meeting in October. And he's like, mom, don't go. Who's going to take care of me? I'm like, you got dad. He's like, but dad sleep. Yeah. Same, same thing. And they were fine. You know, nobody burned the house down while we were away and yeah, it was yeah. all good. I want to see if I could get her into one of those that like the, the doctor she sees runs a diabetes camp. Oh yeah, you should. And, yeah, and she's she's now she's got um she's gotten on a volleyball team actually. She just oh, she's so started, cool. Yeah, she started playing volleyball when we when we came here and she got on a team and and that camp is also geared towards sports. So that's you that know, is so perfect. That. I love that's one great thing about the US. There's a lot of camps for kids with diabetes. A few years ago, Aaron, when he was in very much into basketball, he went to one that was specific to basketball and everyone had type one. It was amazing. It was such a great experience. And even when I went to pick him up at the camp and you know they had kind of their closing day and it was so beautiful. And I'm sitting there just and I'm not like a big crier, or at least I think I'm not, but I'm just like <laughs> sobbing the whole last day of camp. I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. Like I don't want it to end for them. It was so good. So I yeah. think that's that's really, really cool if if it you know focuses on sports and then they just get a chance to learn and grow even more. But in nature as well, California has beautiful yeah. Thing in nature so it's it's I want to try to 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 do that for her this year it all depends on where we end up going in the summer but yeah right no that sounds beautiful oh it's I want to yeah it even like regular camp if you know you don't have a chronic condition I think kids going to camp is such a cool thing and then if you can surround yourself with people that are experiencing the same, same thing, thing it's amazing it's amazing so before we conclude this interview, I was wondering if you would read your poem about type one. Yes. I wanted I wanted to save that the for last. I'm so that we'll this was such a good chat. I mean, it was it didn't feel like an interview. So no, so good. good. I'm happy to hear that. We can do it more often. We'll do like a regular 
like, you know, <laughs> what's going on in the, the type one type one world. I mean, yeah. because there's so many, there's so much more we could talk about. I didn't even get into, you know, like caretaker challenges and challenges you had. There's, there's endless. Yeah. Endless as, mo- as moms, we could sit there talking endlessly. We can, we can. And you have such a connection when you meet, I, I'm sure you've experienced it. When you see any mom, it's one thing to talk through WhatsApp and meet face-to-face or on Zoom like we're doing now. But when you see someone face-to-face, you have this incredibly deep connection that it, there you can't really explain it because you've gone through this shared experience, even though you've not lived it together at the same time, but you just like know, know each other's soul just like a little bit more yeah. than if you were just meeting someone for the first time. It's I don't, I don't have a words to really describe this feeling, but yeah, moms that are dealing with this, yeah, they get so it. They really get it. All right. So, so, so the title is time and um, it just kind of the text runs. So time, be kind to her. She's 11 and already wants to turn you back. She wished this after she squeezed a drop from her index and read me the number. She always insists I close my eyes and guess what her blood is saying. Sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes not. I kiss the tiny tears on her fingertips. I kiss her arms and thighs before the insulin. When I ask her to inject herself, I'm asking her to live without me. And she knows it. When her legs trembled and I soothed with, I'm here, I'm here, she reminded me, but you can't do anything. Perhaps she meant undo. Who am I kidding? Time, I demanded your undoing too that first night in the hospital before dawn, when I woke up having forgotten, then remembered where I was, what had happened, the neon corridor light, the nurse's chatter, the potassium slow burn in my daughter's vein. Time, I know I can't reason with you. You go on and on. Instead, I'm wishing her astonishing slowness, softness inside the arduous and unfair. Like this, the dog's limp, the cold coffee, the struggling baby bougainvillea, the winged ant on the floor, the half-eaten sandwich, the tenderness, of the 5 a.m. light, the daily departures, the basil plant's shadow on the wall and her hair, the swing of my love's hair as she runs, shaking her head left and right, left and right, how she always ran like this, always ran as if swaying. No, no. That's so beautiful. And and again, to hear you read it is really so impactful. Thank you. Like, it, it's beautiful. I think the part that really hit me, because it, as we all have that memory that the most relatable is the neon corridor light, like um, that, when we don't realize it as we're experiencing it, but when you describe it and those things like that's probably the picture, part of the picture a lot of us have like that hospital neon lighting. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that potassium, she kept waking up and saying it burns, it burns because the potassium burns as burns you. as it goes in. Yeah. yeah. And the part running to, I think all of us, when we see our children, and sometimes we'll observe them with children that don't have diabetes and they're just doing everyday children things. And if yeah. they're like, they're running among other children, that was 
also very deeply felt, deeply felt. It's such a, it, it's so really beautiful. And I think so relatable for so many people. And for those that aren't experiencing a child with type one or maybe some other chronic condition, um, yeah. hopefully it gave them a little it's insight. A, it's also, I think also one thing I've had to learn as a mom is the connection you have with your kid, but also the separateness mm. from because she tends to be super independent. And I was kind of hovering because of course, you know, your child is, you know, is diagnosed with this chronic condition. So first she relied on me, but then when she became more and more and more independent, you know, she, she's kind of like back off, you know? And uh, I was kind of complaining to the doctor the last time I saw him. And he said to me at this age, they're like at the circus, they're like jumping and doing, and we are just the safety net. We're there to catch them. Oh, That's wow. It. But you cannot, you cannot, you know, don't ask her too many questions like, you know, oh, you were high today at 12. What did you eat? You know, so we can, you know, she's kind of, she's refusing to answer these questions now mm. because it's my body. It's me. I know what I'm doing. Stop it. You know? And, um, I admire that about her actually. Um, yeah. I'll have to keep that advice in my pocket because I need it sometimes <laughs> too. Some days it seems like it's really so frustrating. And then other days maybe we'll forget to ask, you know, as much as we usually do, but that's like really great advice that we are the safety net. Yeah. Mm. And he looked at I and she's like, you're doing great. You're doing great. You know? So she was like very, you know, very proud of herself. Yeah. That's so good. Sometimes <laughs> my son's doctor, because I like that when we see her, she speaks to him. She's not talking to me. He's old enough okay. now. And that's, that's what he needs. And even once yeah. I tried to like interject a fact related to yeah. something they were talking about and she just put her hand up, like talk to the hand, I'm talking to him. And I was like, <laughs> fair enough. Like, it didn't really change the outcome, I guess, of what she was advising him to do or anything, but, but that's, that's so true because they need to, you know, do that and push back. And this is the age where they have to experiment and they can do that safely, I guess, because we are there as, as the net to prepare them as for the, the for the phase when we and won't she's be like, under the net. To me, not to you. She said oh. that to me many times. It's happening to me, not mm. to you. So, and you got to kind of realize actually, yeah, it is happening to her, not to me. Right. So it's happening to me and like as a mom, as a mother, which is what I said, you know, you realize there's the connection, but there's also the separateness and you have to like kind of juggle. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I always try sometimes to paraphrase like before I'm going to give advice, say like, look, I don't know what you're feeling or what you're experiencing. However, this is what I'm observing, or this is what I'm thinking kind of thing. So I try to always be mindful of that. And I think as moms, or parents in general, but moms, especially, it can be like all consuming, where, you know, some moms, someone once said, Oh, but all you talk about is like your child's diabetes, and you're defined by that and whatever. And I'm like, but not really, because I, I mean, yeah, to some extent, okay, people might disagree. I have a business that supports people with diabetes, but it's not about, you know, identifying and taking on whatever it is my son has, at least that's what I'm thinking, because it's not, it's, it's not my condition that I'm experiencing. And I think, I think what you're, what you're doing is helping out people like us, like, you know, moms with kids new to diabetes. Like I said at the beginning of, of, of this chat that, you know, you were one of the people who were, although, you know, we didn't have direct contact, but you were there in the group. Lots of people told me about you and uh, just having, um, I think, aren't you the one who has like, um, 
you sent it on the group, I think, or maybe I found it on the website. Like you have like what, when you're traveling with a kid with diabetes. Mm-hmm. So, so I used all of these resources. So you've got tons of resources out there. And yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's so necessary to, to have. Yeah, j- just to make it easier. No, I'm happy to hear that those were helpful. We have more resources coming. So that, that will come, I mean, food, everything. And there's the endless, endless things that, that we need. It's just finding the time to do it, but I didn't mean to digress this like that, but it was more like, you know, for your daughter to say, this is happening to, to me. And I think as parents, when we, we do realize that, then that just helps them become more successful to, to manage it in their, yeah. their own ways. So that's really wonderful. I hope I get to meet her someday. She sounds just so, I, I could and learn a lot from her. Yeah. <laughs> we can. And also I, I tend to feel like she doesn't want to be defined by it. Like she doesn't necessarily want to yeah. advocate for it. She doesn't necessarily, do you know, like, yeah, I think that's super helpful. Like once Aaron said to me, um, I was meeting up with some moms or something and he's like, you know, just because I have diabetes and these kids have diabetes, we don't have to be friends. I said, you absolutely shouldn't. And you don't, I said, you should be friends with people that you like, that you have things in common with. It's not, it's not just diabetes. That's like, you know, being an expat and then just being friends with someone because you share the same passport kind of thing. Like some people do that. And sometimes it works out and sometimes not, you don't have a deep friendship. I'm like, no, you should have deep friendships. I'm definitely not saying you should be friends only with kids that have diabetes, I said. But sometimes it's just good to meet other kids that have diabetes because you have a shared experience. Then at least they can relate to you. Maybe you can learn how they handled a certain situation. But you don't have to be best friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But although I do I do love, like you said, the the mom community so much that I do want to be friends with all of them because they're amazing. All of them. Like every <laughs> single one. They have your back. <laughs> I miss that community. I really do. That's like the one thing I really, really, uh, not the one thing I mean, but like in the diabetes thing, like that's the most valued thing I had. in Yeah. Dubai. People yeah, like it. Stuff. Maybe yeah. like, like you said, you don't have a lot of time, but you could always start one and just kind of like get people in a group. And that way, if somebody has a question or needs something, always good to, good to know there. And there's mm-hmm. new, new diagnosis coming up all the time as well. So yeah. Anyway, it's getting late for you. So I should probably let you go. I could continue to talk to you. You're it's good. You're a late night person. So but I'll still, yeah. I'll still let you go because it'll get late, you know, soon enough. And I just really want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Um, and I think everything that you've shared will be so helpful for so many people. If you have not gotten Zaina's book, you need to get it. And if you're in Dubai, I got my virtual thing on. If you're in Dubai, you're, she will be at the literature festival. We'll put information of that all in the show notes where you can find it. Um, and go, go meet her, go talk to her. I want to thank Zaina again for joining me to help me open the new season of the podcast. It was such an honor to have her on the show. And I feel really so deeply touched that she took the time to do this because I've seen her in so many interviews and she's a very successful poet and so busy. And for her to take the time to speak to us at Diapoint, the dialogue podcast, it means so much. And also for her sharing her experience as the parent of a child with type one and some of the wisdom that she has learned on the way and some of the very deep, meaningful things that her daughter has observed um, about this are really great reminders. I feel like I'm going to come out. I came out of this episode with some good reminders and better understanding to, you know, pull back and be more patient with my, my own child with type one as he's experiencing it. And I think if we have children with chronic condition or not, that when they become of a certain age, I think sometimes we, we need to do that. We can forget and get lost in the parenting and 
taking care of doing all the things. So that was such a, a deep, meaningful discussion. And I'm really excited that Zane is going to be back in Dubai. She is coming for the Emirates Literature Festival, which will be happening the first week of February. We'll have the link in the, the show notes. She will be interviewed by Donabella Gutierrez, who is also an accomplished poet and writer. And you can find her on Friday, February 3rd. That will be happening at 7 p.m. in the Intercontinental Hotel in Dubai and Festival City. So if you want to hear more about uh, Zaina's writing, please do visit if you are in town. And if not, you can follow her on Instagram. Um, but get her books. Her All her poetry is really beautiful. And we'll put all the links for all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And thanks for joining us back again here for this new season. If you like the podcast, enjoy it, please rate it, review it, share it with friends. We really appreciate it. It allows us to keep doing what we enjoy doing. Thank you so much and have a great day.